the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. After an all-too-brief holiday last week, I'm back in the UK, where we're now entirely focused on the big approaching deadline. Yes, London International Shipping Week is coming up. Oh, and Brexit, apparently that's still happening too. Try as we might, it seems, this year's London maritime discussions are going to struggle to escape the gravitational pull of the B word. As democracy crumbles around us and we hurtle towards a no deal with metaphors of large, difficult-to-manoeuvre tankers that much more pertinent to the maritime crowd than most. Here at Lloyd's List, we're determined to look beyond the Brexit chaos and work on the assumption that global trade will not grind to a halt on October the 31st, and the shipping industry will do what the shipping industry does best and find solutions around uncertainty. I'm delighted to say that joining me this week to take a determinedly positive view in the post-Brexit apocalypse is Tim Morris, Chief Executive of the UK Major Ports Group. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thanks, Richard. Pleasure to be here. We are going to be talking beyond Brexit, but I wouldn't be doing my job if we didn't at least start with what's going to be happening. So come on, give me uh, give me something positive here. Tell me why our ports aren't going to be paralysed, our roads aren't going to be gridlocked, our economy won't be crippled and our shop shelves will be replete with goods, medicines and essential items. Well, uh, Richard, I will do my best. Um, <laughs> we're reasonably confident as a sector and we're reasonably confident for, for a number of reasons. Um, number one, um, the media focuses primarily, and, and to a certain extent rightly, on the, the uh, freight movement with Europe in terms of trucks with drivers. Now that's important, and particularly important for some sectors of the economy, but at, at the end of the day it is only 8% of UK port volumes. Um, if you went to most of the large ports in the UK, not all, but most, you'd find that they already successfully handle um, you know, very large quantities of non-EU goods today, and they have the, um, the processes and capabilities in order to do more of that. And um, <clears throat> thirdly, the um, ports themselves have been working on Brexit preparation for a long time. Mm. So pretty much from the get-go, um, ports have been engaging um, with their customers, with the government, and looking at their own processes and, and facilities um, to prepare for a range of different outcomes, up to and including the, the fact that stuff that comes from the Netherlands needs to be treated in the same way as if it came from, I don't know, let's pick a country, Brazil. So um, we're reasonably confident, um, but we're certainly not complacent. Um, it's a complex situation. We still don't have as much clarity uh, as we'd like, and certainly the degree of preparedness for the British economy as a whole is you know, a cause for concern, not just for the uh, for the ports, but I would have thought for the uh, the economy and the government in a broader sense. Mm. I think that's you know the key thread of the dialogue, I guess, with the industry has been much more sanguine than the um, screaming headlines we've had in the rest of the press. I mean, the industry itself. I would characterise as being as prepared as it probably could have been under the circumstances. But as you say, there is a general lack of clarity in terms of what will happen. And there's a lot of known unknowns and unknown unknowns in the sense that uh, nobody really understands what's going to happen. But, you know, as I said at the outset, I mean, the industry has a a pretty good track record in terms of dealing with uncertainties. And, uh, you know, if you look at the average port in terms of how it uh, finds efficiency amid you know, what could be a fairly chaotic um, stream of trade coming through, not in any way a uniform trade, I should add, um, you know, the, the, the track record is, is looking pretty positive, I'd say. Um, I think there's, there's you know, a strong, strong element of, of truth in that, Richard. I think if I was, you know, to take in a, you know, a specific example, 
Um, up until relatively recently, thermal coal was a huge part of uh, the UK ports business. That has changed almost overnight, um, certainly over the course of two years, to virtually nothing. Um, ports have changed the way they operate, changed their business models, etc., to, to cope for that kind of change. Mm. I think what, what what is different this time is obviously the, you know, the, the speed of change virtually overnight um, and the degree of you know, visibility um, that, that, that's been present, particularly in some of the detail about it, and more so for the economy as a whole than ports, it has to be said, because mm. your ports have had pretty good engagement with the government going forward. But we will adapt and change and keep Britain open for trading. I mean, one of the bright spots that I've written about is, you know, if you ignore the, um, you know, the, the, the lower end of the political um, debate where I think you know, Brexit has perhaps introduced shipping to some of, the, of our ministers rather than um, clarified you know, much of what they already knew. I, I think it's fair to say that it has probably focused the uh, relationship between industry and government to a degree that we haven't seen, certainly in my career. Um, this is the first time we've seen a wholly engaged uh, cross-government focus on shipping and ports. I think it really has brought it into the, um, the the mainstream political domain, which is good news for shipping, I'd say. Obviously, there are problems to deal with, and you know we will do that. But I mean, how would you characterize the relationship with government at the moment in terms of you know the dialogue going? Um, I think I broadly agree with you that that you know, if one was to look at upsides from the Brexit um, process and dialogue so far, it would be that we, as a nation, have come to realise that we are an island, um, and that re- we rely on um, maritime and our ports for ninety five percent of the goods that we trade with the world. Um, that realisation is has been taken for granted for for too long, but it's still a reality mm. of where we are. So the, the you know the increased awareness of our reliance on the sea and our ports is very welcome. And it's both a challenge, but also an opportunity for the sector, not just the ports, but the maritime sector more generally, to make sure this is not just a passing fad, but that it is actually embedded within the um, processes and policy making of government and regulation going forward. Mm. So that what we, as the UK re-emerges as an independent trading nation, we absolutely have the right infrastructure capabilities and attitudes to make sure that we have you know long-term success, sustainable success. Mm. Final sort of uh, small detail, but an interesting one for the UK listeners, I'd say, is the this focus on free ports that we've had recently. Mm. Uh, you know, seem to be touted uh, by Boris Johnson and Co as uh, you know the silver bullets to uh, to all our port woes. Uh, somewhat overblown, I'd say, in terms of the political rhetoric. Probably, uh, you know, a few examples of where that might come into some use, but it's certainly not the uh, panacea to all ills, presumably. Um, free ports are potentially transformational in the right circumstances. Um, they're not right for every port, uh, port situation. Um, what the government could do is look at a broader, and should do, is look at a broader range of measures, for example, around planning policy in a broader sense that doesn't necessarily involve some of the tricky, expensive fiscal measures that cause a lot of consternation. Mm. Um, that will boost our glo- predominant global gateways with the world for trade mm. on a much broader range than um, you know a number of free ports. But nevertheless, in particular circumstances, and this is experience from around the world, free ports can have an absolutely transformational um, impact on the you know, local communities and local economies where they're based. Mm. Okay. Well, on that note, I mean, I think I think the uh, the tendency is to is, is to focus on the immediate and the and the, and the Brexit. But uh, 
I think probably looking forward to London Shipping Week, what we're going to hear, certainly from the government, who are not all that keen on talking about Brexit and shipping and certainly not keen about talking about the UK flag right now in terms of the uh, the impact Brexit has there. But they will be looking at 2050, the, the 2050 maritime plan and um, the series of measures that they have pledged as a maritime strategy from here to 2050 are genuinely interesting. Um, and you've touched upon a few of the uh, the points there. But we are dealing with uh, a period of significant regulatory shift, uh, environmental um, shift in terms of uh, both you know, the immediate sulfur uh, regulations on shipping, but uh, more importantly, I would argue the uh, decarbonisation of the industry from here to 2050. All of that comes at a, a fairly seismic period of shift for trade itself. Um, we've seen the rise of protectionism. We've seen shifting trade lanes. The um, uh, you know, n- not the end of the shift towards containerization, but certainly a slowdown in that in that 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 trend. We are dealing with a few unknowns. We are dealing with um, some certainties in terms of digitalization and regulation, but we're dealing with uh, a period where ports are going to have to change, I think, the way they've been operating, because they've often been the last to know about this. Uh, you know, it's an often repeated anecdote, but when Maersk introduced the uh, the first 13,000 TEU ships, it was um, APM were one of the last to, to know about it. And, you know, this, this idea that ports are left to react to industry evolution um, really has to change. And I think that's the thread that runs through the 2050 strategy is that it's not just a question of the ships, it's the ports, it's the ecosystem, it's the infrastructure, it's the digitalization, it's the whole shebang in terms of how we deal with maritime as an industry, but as a, an interconnected, integrated supply chain. What do you think in terms of, can we can we move away from this sort of uh, dog whistle politics uh, around Brexit and actually focus as an industry on what really needs to be a wholesale maritime industry discussion? I think it's absolutely essential that we don't get get ourselves lost in the turmoil of Brexit and forget or ignore the larger, longer-term changes that are needed um, in order to create much stronger global gateways for the UK. Um, we sit at the uh, a number of inflection points um, in terms of macro trends. Um, you've mentioned a couple, Richard. So you know the geopolitics his, um, you know, raises a lot of uncertainties. Um, decarbonisation and a greater level of environmental sustainability is absolutely guaranteed and needs to be embedded in what the future holds. And also the you know the transformative impact of data and digitalisation are also important. And this is this is at the centre of the discussion that um, we're hoping to have at our breakfast round table during LISW, mm. we, uh, as well as the, you know, the, the political and the industry and the, the investor perspectives. Our, our friends from Drury are going to come along and set it and you know, paint the scene mm. for us in terms of some of these, 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 um, these general trends. And, and then we'll tease out of that perhaps what that, that means for trade, um, but then also for ports that underpin or anchor each leg of those, those supply chains. And I think what it means is, you know, there are a number of absolutely essential pillars that are required for the creation of, you know, what we might end up calling strong ports. We've talked about big ports, we've talked about small ports, we've talked about free ports, we've talked about smart ports. A lot of these things come together in what you might describe as a sort of strong port. Mm. And what are the pillars of that? 
They are things like, um, you know, an undoubted ongoing um, emphasis on efficiency of operation and productivity. Can't get away from that. That's good for all circumstances. But then ensuring that we are integrated both physically and digitally into supply chains. So what does that mean? And physically, it means, you know, a much greater emphasis on development of hinterlands, like logistics parks, like value addition centers, like manufacturing, but also the digital platforms and service offerings that's required. Then a much greater sense of sustainability, and can we facilitate the greatest you know, the uh, greatest sustainability of the maritime sector as a whole, as well as talking about the changes on the demand side, so much less demand for fossil fuels, for example. Mm. Um, and then finally, coming on to issues like um, you know, a broader range of services. So in a relatively mature market, um, in a intensely cost competitive market, for a port to be successful, it needs to be offering a much broader range of services that goes all the way from physical services like complex lift mm. through to sustainability services like offshore wind and, and recycling through to you know, some of the data offerings we were talking about. So, you know, we need to change the conception of what a, a, a sustainable port looks like, this idea of a you know, multifaceted, multifaceted, strong port concept. Mm. I mean, we, we've had a lot of discussion on the podcast previously, but more, I would say, on the shipping side around the digitalization and the often repeated phrase is, we need to add value. And that's very much what you're saying. But, I mean, what does that look like tangibly for a port? Because we've gone through a period where the port sector has had to, in some cases, fairly rapidly respond to increasing size of ships, the reach of cranes. Then we've had to integrate... Um, you know, some elements of uh, basic digitalization in terms of, you know, forward planning and, and, and having the, you know, telemetrics from ships and, uh, you know, just-in-time delivery and, and, and ports, again, reacting. How does the port proactively move down this line of adding value? So I think the, um, the important thing for the port is it's not just about the, the maritime or, or you know, wet side of the business. The value for the port, and indeed the value for the port within the supply chain, is this nodal position it takes mm. between the shipping line, but also then the landside customer and the landside um, uh, you know, connectivity as well. So, in terms of what the port, what ports are doing, and, and I think this is a definite trade for a trend for major ports to continue, is acting as not just in terms of the digital interface with the. Um, with the, the shipping line, so the, the as you pointed out, the scheduling, the you know the anticipation of, of where things need to be at what time, hmm. but then in terms of connecting with the the land side, where is my truck? Where is my container? How can I how can I drive more efficiency out of my logistics supply chain through applying the digitization that not only gives me greater visibility, but allows me to make, for example, with AI augmented decision making lower stock levels, more efficient use of my assets, and driving that efficiency all the way through the landside supply chain as well. So I was part of a discussion at, at another conference between, actually between, accidentally, between a big port operator and one of their customers. And at the moment they operate a, um, you know, where's, my, um, where's my, my cargo facility right now, which provides useful visibility. Mm. The call from the um, customer was, what I want is to develop some bespoke middleware between me and your system that allows a greater integration of my logistics planning and then onto my end customer who are a series of retailers that drive efficiency 
throughout that process as well. So I think we're, what we'll be going from is, is you know, not just more port-based solutions, but also more integration between the port-based solutions and the solutions of both the maritime player, but also the land side player as well. And I find that fascinating because, you know, going back to where we started with the fact that, you know, we were in the run up here to London Shipping Week and you know, this proliferation of shipping weeks, I think, you know, have been you know set up, you could argue against this, but, you know, largely by the need to market one's position. Uh, you know, the clusters, um, the businesses within them, you know, you've got a series of uh, waypoints throughout the shipping calendar now where shipping's elite and glitterati are expected to be parachuted in and have these discussions on regional clusters. Now that is interesting, it is important, but the context of what you've just said, very little of that has to do with the ship and the traditional models of shipping as we know them. Increasingly what we're talking about is uh, the integration of technology, of logistics, of supply chains, of regulation, finance, uh, of decarbonisation via government. Uh, none of this has anything to do with the asset, really. I mean, it is being driven at a top end away from the shipping industry. That's interesting in the context of the discussion around London Shipping Week. If we can actually facilitate those discussions and have a much wider discussion than we have traditionally in these maritime weeks, then I'm all for it. If, however, it turns into a, a, a marketing session for uh, the businesses that are prepared to pay up, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what the value of such discussions are. I, I think there's, there is generally value in understanding your immediate customers and stakeholders better. Mm -hmm. So I think there is, you know, there is a value from the kind of conversations that happen around um, Shipping Week if they are solutions fo focused. I think just you know, a series of, of very pleasant drinks parties one after the other. Oh, don't get know, me wrong, we enjoyed that. Uh, 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 you know, and I will be at them as much as everybody else. <laughs> but I think there is a, um, you know, and, and shipping is, and maritime is not alone in this, that there is a tendency for industries to talk to themselves, convince themselves, each yes. other, how important they are and, and, and how essential they are, etc. I think we in the major port sector see ourselves moving towards being a part of, you know, the much broader conversation about Global supply chains, regional supply chains. How are we drive? You know, how are we driving efficiency throughout all of those supply chains? How are we creating shared value within mm. those as ports, as shipping lines, etc., um, in order to you know increase efficiency, increase economic wealth, therefore driving more investment, jobs, and prosperity for coastal communities all around the UK, which is absolutely cru you know, crucial element of what we're here to do. And, you know, it, sort of within the spirit of that, I do wonder whether calling something a London Shipping Week is, is somewhat undersells what we what we either are doing or should be doing. Uh, if I look at my diary of events, I see a lot of regional events, mm. you know, Mersey, Maritime, um, you know, Humber, Solent. We have, you know, a large number of shipping maritime uh, clusters in the UK. Um, and it's more, than, it's more than shipping. It's the maritime sector as a whole. I wouldn't be here as a port's person talking about it if it was no indeed well and i think you know genuinely the the suggestions i'm getting from both from government and various people involved in shipping week and we'll have a series of podcasts out uh, on a daily basis during london shipping week hopefully involving uh, everybody from uh, the shipping minister nazrit ghani to uh, paddy rogers who's going to be hosting the, uh, the the big conference of the uh, the week and various other people involved 
Um, I, I do get the impression that it is going to be a, a proper discussion. It is going to be a little bit more outward looking and, and, and try and avoid this localized cluster navel gazing of, of how we deal with things ourselves. I, I'm, I'm positive and I hope that we can sustain a, a, an outward looking conversation. I think that's essential. I think there is, it has never been more important and this perhaps Richard brings us back to where we started about Brexit, mm. to ensure that the UK and major players within the UK are number one, very visibly and actively open for business and number two, ensuring we are having those outward looking global conversations building the relationships, but also putting in place the foundations here in the UK to ensure that we have the industry and the infrastructure to keep us open for business around the world in a situation where the UK looks like in some form almost ready to emerge as a newly independent globally trading entity. I love the positivity. Well, that seems a decent enough place to uh, halt. Uh, I look forward to seeing you and our listeners uh, first at the uh, Lloyd's List London Shipping Week event, Transparency in Shipping. Uh, on Monday, uh, 9th September, we're going to be starting at 8.30 at 2.40 Blackfriars, uh, Lloyd's List Towers, to those in the know. Um, there are still a few places uh, if you want to register on lloydslist.com. Uh, and uh, we will hope to see you there. And then on the Tuesday, the 10th, we will be uh, uh, having our discussion with, uh, who, who we got on the panel? So um, we've got, a, it's a round table. We have, we're fortunate to be joined by Nusra Ghani, the Maritime yep. um, Minister. We'll be joined by the Chinese Ambassador Excellent. to the UK. Um, our friends from Drury will come along and do some presentations. And we will have representatives from um, ports, shipping lines, um, universities, manufacturers and institutional investors. So it uh, should be a good discussion. Sounds like a great event. Okay. Well, uh, we will leave it from there and look forward to uh, London Shipping Week celebrations to come. But for now, uh, Tim Morris from the UK Major Ports Group, thank you for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Richard.